1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. We're going to talk about two really exciting topics today. One is about influence. How do you have more of it? Upwards influence, downward influence, and more importantly, sideways influence. And I think the most important part of influence is when you don't have formal authority, when you're trying to persuade people to do something and they don't have to follow you. So this can be our first segment. And then the second segment, I'm going to turn to what sounds like an unusual topic at the beginning, grace. I want to talk about why that matters, what it means, and I'm going to give you the heads up it's tied to purpose. So my guest today is John Baldoni. John is has a wonderfully long, illustrious career being an international leadership guru, speaker, consultant, and coach. He's the author of 14 books that have been translated into 10 languages. He's been on, in 2018, he was Inc.com's top 100 speaker. He was Trust America, honored him with a Lifetime Achievement Award for Trust. And in 2019, Global Gurus ranked John number nine on its list of top 30 Global leadership experts. I might add he's been on that list since 2007. There are two books that are particularly relevant. The most recent one is called Grace A Leader's Guide to a Better Us. But he's also the author of Moxie, The Secret of Bold and Gutsy Leadership. And the one that sort of put his name on the um, map is called Lead with Purpose, Giving Your Organization a Reason to Believe in Itself, all hugely important topics. I'll just add that John has worked with senior leaders in just about every industry you can name, from pharmaceutical to real estate, packaged goods to automobiles, finance to healthcare. And I think it's also fair to say he's worked pretty much in every major country we could think of, where large global corporations are existing. So, John, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show.
2: That warm welcome. It is indeed a good to be with you, and I look forward to a wonderful conversation.
1: So do I. I'm keen to hear, and I want to start with this topic of influence, because I know you've written a lot about this and talked a lot about it, and you talk about there being conditions that allow me to effectively influence somebody else, especially why not have direct authority over them? So what are those conditions?
2: Well, I think the situation, I, I like to say that influence comes down to three things. One is competence. Two is credibility. And three is confidence. Now, the th- interesting thing about when you... If you're new to an organization, either you are a new, excuse me, as a new hire or a transfer or whatever, um, you have to prove yourself. You have to be confident. It's hard to have influence when people when people don't really know you, and if they don't know you, they don't really trust you yet. They, you know, they'll maybe comply with you, but they won't commit to you. So the way you prove your competence is to do your job well. And uh, it's important, you know, to do what you're asked to do and then more so. Um, also, you know, act as a resource for others and to help them. So competence is that section where you actually have to believe in yourself, most, uh, most importantly. The second part is credibility. And this is where when you're new to an organization, as I was speaking about, um, no one knows you. You don't have any credibility. You may have credibility in your past job, and if you're a senior executive being, you know, um, hired into an organization, obviously you have credibility. But at the same time, people again don't know you, and so they are reluctant to commit to you. They're reluctant to trust you, trust you. So credibility comes when other people trust you, other people believe in you. The third aspect, and probably the most exciting is confidence. And confidence comes in two ways. The first element of confidence is that you believe in yourself. And the second is like credibility, others have confidence in you. So that confidence is, is it goes both ways. And, and it's important if you're going to Um, lead or certainly influence, that you have to believe in yourself, and you have to know that you can um, achieve positive outcomes. Why? Because you've done it before, all right? That's where really confidence comes from. It's our self-belief, which is Found, founded on are, um, are having achieved something, whether you, you graduated high school, you went to college, you did okay in your first job, and on and on and on, and things like that. So you have confidence, um, and then the second um, part, <clears throat> maybe the, and then others see that in you, and they sense, I trust this person, I have confidence that Wanda can do her job well. I have confidence that i 'm in good hands if Wanda is my team leader. I it's begin to trust Wanda. Now, there's a third element of um, confidence, which is probably the most exciting, and it comes over a period of time. And it's when your confidence is such that you get others to believe in in themselves. Now we're at the time of the year where we have just passed what uh, an example I always use when we see in our high school state basketball championships or our NCAA basketball tourneys when there's uh, invariably an unsung team we call them Cinderellas that rise to the top and no one expects them to see that and they interview the players and they say what got you here and invariably you will hear a phrase like coach got us to believe in ourselves, and that's where coach set up uh, a framework, a game plan, uh, and he got each player to play to his or her best ability, so that's when you instill that confidence and others believe that. and when you can instill confidence in others, gosh, you can knock down walls and achieve great things, so...
1: All right, so the first of those, the competence and the credibility and the belief in myself because I've done it before and hopefully with time other people begin to see that I've done it before and I can do it and they trust me, sound for the moment straightforward. I'll come back and test that. This notion of getting other people to believe in themselves and like a basketball team, how? How do I do that? What does that look like?
2: Well, you leverage your first two elements, which is your competence and your credibility. So you're good at your job, people know you're good at your job, and then you lay out a framework that this is what we can do. So if we're talking about influence within a, a, the team organization, where we're influencing peers, you're, you become the trusted expert. Why? Because you seem to understand the issues. At the same time, you're someone who is seen as a supporter of others. That You are perceived as not in it simply for yourself. You're what we call a team player but you're a sharing person. You want to, the team to succeed. You value your success as a team's success. That's leadership. Um, and so, and then it, so that instills confidence. And then also, if you are actually the team leader, you instill confidence by, as I said earlier, having that plan, but also being able to flex bringing out the best in others, dealing with resistance, uh, being a go-to person in times of crisis, um, being agile, being nimble, and more importantly, viewing the team as a team, whereas all good ideas don't come from me, they come from our team. Uh, Someone who can bring together people for the best ideas so that we set up a series something we call collaboration. Where I like to say collaboration is one plus one equal five. You know, where one good idea and coupled with another good idea makes it a five times better idea. That type of thing. That's beginning how you do the how, if you will.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of pieces, though, John. There's not. It's like that. There's the magic in that one. You know, so yes, I can show people that I understand the issues and yes, let's assume that everybody actually values the team's success. But then this notion of flexing and adapting and dealing with the resistance, that's where people really get tested because at that point, people sort of start to say, I don't know if you're with me and therefore I don't know if we're going to succeed and all sorts of defensiveness starts to happen. So any advice?
2: Well, sure. That's why the role of leader or influence, it's a constant exercise. You have to meet people where they are. You read people where they are. Um, You sense that some people are going to be at point... Uh, you know, five, another person is going to be stuck on point two. Your challenge is how are you going to get from the two to the five, okay? Mm-hmm. And so you, by reading people, by understanding their needs, their wants, you um, nudge them, coach them, cajole them. Sometimes kick them in the behind. Uh, Other times, be that coach, that supporter, that cheerleader. Um, So, in each of us, um, reacts differently to adversity. And the coach is the one, the 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 team leader, as acting as the coach is reading um, the emotions, the as well as understanding the capabilities of each person, who can be pushed and who cannot. That's where it comes in. And that's where, that's where it's very time consuming. And it's very, very tiring. It's tough. So there's no, there's no magic formula to this. It's hard work. So
1: <laughs> I think I, that's fair enough. Fair enough. And it's, it's um, magic when you see it. It's a hard thing, though, to figure out what it is I'm doing wrong in the moment. So...
2: And, and well, you know, for, for that point is, you're not going to get, um, I always use sports, and I don't mean to overdo it, but what we, why I use sports is a tangible example. And what it is, is when a coach comes in with a team, especially a new team, he or she has to win the confidence of those people same with any other team so it's not instant some people may may uh, understand you and link with you right from the get-go others you will have to win them over and ultimately some people may not be worth winning over you know in professional sports you know what you do you cut them Uh, so in an organization may not be the same thing but you don't worry about them you move as many people forward as you possibly can you don't get stuck with the underperformers you, you work with the best of what you have.
1: Yeah. I know this advice that senior leaders always give is get the right team. And then they say, and if you don't have the right team, don't wait too long because the biggest mistakes are waiting too long to move people. But I always get asked, how do I know if I've given it enough time? How do I know if I've been flexible enough? How do I know that now's the time to cut that person? Any advice? Uh,
2: there's no formula. It's just simply you You have to trust. This is where your credibility comes in. You have to trust your gut, your experience. Uh, a senior leader has been through this before. Uh, a new leader, a team leader has not. So that's where you call on your mentor or a coach or a colleague uh, and find out what's going on. But at the same time, you have co- if, if people are not moving forward, you have conversations with them as to what's holding you back. All right? And... Let's say they, they're not trained properly, you provide them with training. But if it's a matter of they're simply not buying into your plan, uh, then, you know, that's a time where you have to part directions because their intransigence or their inability to perform is affecting the entire team. Yeah, so. And germane to that question, no leader I have ever spoken to ever, I say, when I ask people, senior leaders, you know, how many A players you have on your team, and they kind of laugh, and they go, well, half, you know, maybe half. So you're never going to have a team of A players. At the same time, as a leader, as an executive, it's your job to push everybody as best you can and to pull them, too, and to hold yourself accountable for getting those uh, good results. Because, you know, when you're the person that's at the top, Hey, it's on you. It's all on yeah. you. It's not others, it's on you.
1: Yeah. I like this notion of, you know, asking somebody what's holding you back, what do you need and listening, like genuinely listening, genuinely caring and not being defensive about whatever the answers are. And then say, "Okay, can I give you those resources? Can I help you with that? Can I can I coach you forward?" But there is a point when you just have somebody who says, I'm not on the, on the bus, in effect. I don't buy your plan, boss. That's when it's time for everybody to move on, assuming we've I, had a few months to talk about it.
2: I agree. I agree. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. I want to come back to the beginning. So the conditions to be able to influence. You said that, that there has to be competence. That means I have to be able to do the job well. And I have to be a resource for other people. And I have to believe that I have the competence to do it. Okay? Check. Mm -hmm. And I have to have the credibility, meaning other people have to know that I can do the job. Because if they don't know me and don't know what I can do, then they're going to be reluctant to trust me. Okay, so those two components. And I want to stay with us for a minute. Because what we talk a lot about on this show are people who have stepped out of their zone of expertise where they do have the competence and perhaps the credibility in spades and are now asked to lead a team where somebody else might know more than they do. How do I deal with a competence and credibility at that point? Because it takes a while to establish that.
2: Right. Well, I would say every senior leader in America, if he or she is honest with himself, has or better have smarter and better uh, more competent people on their team than they are themselves. Now, what do I mean is that they're not the technical experts. The higher you go up in an organization, as you know this well, Wanda, the less yeah. you know and the less you do. When we are individual contributors, we work in an environment where you know the, we have five things to do uh, this today, or you know ten things to do in a week, and at the end of that week, we get a nice little pat on the back. We're doing well. We get promoted into management. Our long, our time frames become more longitudinal. But the higher up you move, your job is to facilitate the learning, the growth, the uh, achievement of others. It ain't about you anymore. It's about the team. So I would hope that every senior person um, in running our organizations is not the most technically proficient person uh, because if he or she is, they may not be in the right job, okay. <laughs> and so now that doesn't mean, okay, what do you take a research scientist heading a, uh, a pharmaceutical company, something like that? They may have at one time been the world, or, or you know, recognized in their field. But in their current job, their role is not to be the chief scientist of the firm. Their job is to bring out the best of the other scientists in that team and all of that. So it's you want to, and if you can't deal with the fact that um, you ain't the smartest person in the room. That's going to turn off other people. And you know what happens when other bright people um, see that they're not wanted? What do they do? They walk. And then you are in a world of hurt.
1: (laughs) I love that. And that you're not the most smartest person in the team, that if you're trying to prove that one, everybody is in trouble. Okay. So let's say I have taken over a group and there's a lot of very competent people underneath me. They're very smart. They know the details incredibly, incredibly well. And, but I don't know this area particularly well. So, you know, my credibility is a little struggling, and maybe my confidence is a little struggling in myself, for example. And the team has got to decide they want to follow me. So I get that I'm supposed to bring out the best in them, but how do I get them to believe in me when I'm not the expert?
2: Because you're you're, you're framing that question as if you have to be the subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. And you're not. In, in, I mean, if you're in a te- leading a technical team, you should know – everything about everything, but you're not going to act on it. When you're moving into a higher level role, you are, the, as I said, the facilitator of it, and so you acknowledge what you know, and you acknowledge what you don't know, and when you acknowledge what you do not know, then you are opening yourself up. You know what we call that? Vulnerability. What do people want in their bosses? They want a sense of vulnerability. Not that they want a wimp. Not that they want a wuss. Not that they want a crybaby, but they want someone who knows his or her own strengths as well as their shortcomings. And a person who is self-aware enough to do that is a very strong person, a person who um, we, others, want to follow. And so yeah. basically, if, you know, if you're trying to fake it, don't you know quote come out of the closet and talk about what you know and what you don't know this is the secret to every leader moving into a senior role in another organization where he or she has not grown up in it you got to come clean with what you know and what you don't know and say look at the look the people in the room and say I'm looking at you to continue to do that best job. I'm here to help you. Whatever it is you need, let's talk about it, and let's make it work together. You are the expert, and you're going to run it. That's how you yeah. do it.
1: Yeah, 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 and I totally agree with you on that one, John, so I'm glad we're on the same page with this one. It's just easy for people to hear competence and credibility and therefore think I have to be the smartest person, and I just wanted to reemphasize that that isn't what this is about. I think you're right? that people get inspired by a leader that's willing to be appropriately vulnerable and understands what they're good at and what they're not so good at and is willing to say, I don't get this stuff. What's, you know, explain it to me. One of my favorite CEOs says, that in taking over groups where he didn't know as much as the team, he would always ask and he would say a lot of dumb questions. And he says, but, you know, every now and then those dumb questions actually turned out to be pretty smart because people find out stuff they hadn't thought about in different ways. Okay, I want to shift the tables for a minute, and I want to talk about influencing up. So we talked about how do I influence the team and get them on board, the competence and credibility and confidence and building the confidence in the team themselves. How about managing up? Any advice? Well, I'm,
2: I'm, there's a difference between managing up and leading up. Managing uh-huh. up is taking care of the details for your boss. You're an you know, administrative assistant, or you're acting as an administrative assistant. Leading up is being that person of influence to affect positive change for your team. The way you lead up is I, like, I say a little catchphrase think like a CEO, but act as a manager. So what do I mean? You know the strategy of the firm. You know where the company is headed. You know the mission. And so what you propose, what you wish to do, what you wish to initiate is all in line with the strategic intention of the company. And for example, I always tell a little story. So for example, if you're working for a plumbing supply company and you think you've got a great idea that, hey, you know, I think we should get into the chicken, uh, you know, the chicken business, that might be a good idea, but that's not in line with the plumbing supply business, okay? If you want to have an idea like maybe we should add plumbing supply services and add plumbers, now that is in, in line with the strategic intention of the firm because you provide plumbing supplies. It's not a big deal to move over into the service sector. So in other words, sometimes people get in trouble by trying to propose something which is out of line with what the strategic intention of, or the vision and mission of the organization is. That said, um, you work through your boss, not in spite of your boss. And here's here's what I always say. Who's the easiest boss to lead? an incompetent boss. Why do I say that? Because they know they can't do the job, and they need good, smart people around them. Now, that's a good management thing to bring out the best in others, but some people are just promoted beyond their reach, and so they need good people. That's the kind of boss you can lead. That's the kind of boss you can say. You frame the ideas through boss, why don't we try this? Hey, you've talked about that, let's do that, okay? That's the idea. So in
1: all of this, I'm making, I'm in effect making the boss look good, which is what everybody always says. You have to make your boss, yep. boss look good, yep. but it's more than yep. that. It's bringing ideas that are consistent with where the boss is headed and where the organization is headed.
2: Absolutely. Otherwise, you're out of line where the firm goes. Now, there are there times when you can make radical change. Of course, of course, there are, but. In a typical leading up circumstance it doesn't doesn 't naturally lead to that. maybe over time something happens or circumstances change yes, there's a time for radical disruption, but i'm talking about more conventional examples, which is eighty percent of the time so yeah yeah
1: um, I often hear people say you should make the boss think it was his or her idea. Do you agree with that advice
2: uh yes, I do, and um And sometimes people go, well, I won't get credit for it. Well, if you talk about the team, people will notice over time. And if they don't, you know what? Time for you to go someplace else where your, um, your, uh, your star will shine. Let me tell you another great example. It's, it was General Eisenhower, before he was President Eisenhower, used to, he had kind of this real low-key, Midwestern, laconic thing. And he'd go around to, this is in the Second World War, and the European theater, he would go around to his various generals. You know, I mean, be it Montgomery, uh, be it <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Bradley, or whomever it is, he'd kind of throw out a little idea, and then he'd walk away. And the next day, they'd come to it and they'd go, "Hey, boss, you know, I got this idea. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that?" And Ike would go, "Gosh, that's a great idea." In other words, the boss, Ike, was seeding the idea and letting other people run with it. And whose idea he gave the credit to the underling. That's another. Yeah, that's what yeah. bosses do.
1: I've seen a lot of people do that when I do that masterfully, yep. and they're in strong enough positions that they don't need to be the one that was seen as getting credit for it. And so you just, the little teaser idea, you know, i got this crazy idea, what if, and then see what happens to it. Just see where it goes, could, see what people come back to. You
2: could say that same thing with your boss. I mean, depends on who your boss is. Now, let me give you a little warning here. What's the one kind of boss you cannot lead up? Well, that's okay. that's a bully because a bully boss is a very insecure boss, a uh, fearful boss and all ideas come from him uh, or sometimes her. So don't try to lead up. You can manage up by taking care of the details, but leading up a person like that could you get, could get you fired. So
1: Okay. So any advice for dealing with a bully boss or yeah, a fearful
2: leave. boss? <laughs> yeah, uh, Yeah. Well, no. I mean, you have three choices. You have, um, you can live with it, you can advocate for change, and I'll get back to it, or you can just lump it. It's a very, very delicate issue because why do bully bosses exist? Because senior management allows them to do it. So you you are digging your own grave by doing that. So the way to do it may or may not work, is to lobby with the support of your team to try to affect change by appealing to um, more senior people, but it could backfire in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, I often say for every person that you think is particularly obnoxious, there's somebody somewhere in the organization, especially in senior positions, who think they're pretty good about something. And, Bingo. And, you know... You need to know who it is that thinks they're pretty good before you start really advocating strongly against them.
2: Right. Now okay. there, is a, there is a difference in thisism, um, and HR people will correct me and rightly so. If we're talking about issues of harassment, anybody who's going yeah. through harassment for of every kind need not put up with that for one minute. Right. Um, right. And I know how difficult it can be, but um, and that's where they have every right to uh, appeal to uh, HR, yeah. and hopefully HR is in a uh, will respect their confidence. But hey. We've seen organizations where they do not. So it's a very, very sensitive issue. Yeah, Yeah.
1: And we did um, show a couple of, about a month ago, on harassment and dealing with understanding what it really is and how do you deal with it and what are your options. So I'd reference people back to that one. This whole bullying thing, though, somebody who just operates by intimidation and fear, where there's not formal harassment or sexual harassment attached to it, is a very tricky thing, though, to navigate Because it's often shades of gray. It's always not so visible. And it's, you know, unless there's an ethical code of standard in your company, it's kind of hard to fight against that sort of overly aggressive kind of behavior, I guess I want to say. Not to dig a hole for myself, though, here, John. Okay, so let me see if I can reframe this and we'll take a break. So this notion of influence means that there are three conditions that make it possible for you to influence. One is that you are competent, that you do your job well, and you are a resource for others. So we have that sense of reaching out to other people. Two is that it's credibility. That means that people know you, know something about you, know what you're capable of doing, and have some level of trust in what you're capable of doing. So credibility. And the third one is confidence. And there are three components of this. One is I'm confident in myself because I've done it before. I know what I'm up to. I know how to lead the way through, even if I don't know all the answers. Um, two, others see that sense of self-confidence and develop their own sense of trust in that self-confidence that we can work well together. And again, not that I have to have all the answers that they can work well together. And three, I think sort of the gold dust is this ability to instill in the team that they believe in themselves. And as you rightly said, John, there's so much to do to deliver that kind of – the team having confidence in self and their ability to deliver. So my guest today is John Baldoni. John has two books I'm going to highlight. One is called Lead with Purpose, Giving Your Organization a Reason to Believe in Itself – and grace a leader's guide to a better us which we'll be talking about in just a few minutes about what that means and how it works and i would also tell you that john's website is full of all sorts of information and resources so john is the way to reach him so we we'll take a break when we come right back we're going to talk about grace and the hint it's connected to purpose <music>
0: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it.
1: These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now back to out of the comfort zone. Welcome back to the show.
1: With me today is John Baldoni, and as I've said at the beginning, he's an international leadership speaker, consultant, and coach, the author of 14 books. Uh, Number nine on the 2019 Global Gurus of the Top 30 Global Leadership Experts. That's a mouthful. He's been on that list since 2007, and there's a whole host of other things. Several books that we highly recommend, and I would reference you to his website, johnbaldoni.com. But right now, I want to talk about the latest book, Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us. Now, that may sound a little unusual. So, John, why grace? Why do you want to write about grace?
2: I want to write about grace because it's what our times need. And of all the books I've written, I have never had such pre-release positive uh, response when people ask me, what are you working on? And I simply say the word grace. And they shake their head and they go, boy, do we need that now. So what is grace? Grace is the catalyst for the greater good. Grace is that um, that energy that uh, comes when I'm going to make myself available to help someone else. Traditionally, we think of grace as coming from a faith-based traditions, and the concept of grace is inherent in virtually every faith. Um, And it dates back to ancient times and probably farther below because grace in itself comes from our altruistic sense of self. Do we have an altruistic gene? Some say yes, some say no. Anyway, but that's where grace comes from. So the greater good is that capacity to help others achieve their goals, help others live a more purposeful life, as well as your purpose Is to put people in positions where they can achieve, uh, do their best. It is a sense of intended kindness. Uh, It is looking out for others. It is being there. It is sharing your space, your knowledge, yourself with other people, be it uh, a family member, be it a friend, be it a colleague, be it a stranger. That's what grace is.
1: So you said sharing self and knowledge, but presumably that also goes with time. I'm, I'm giving of my time to you.
2: Without question. Grace requires, you know, I, just want to, I often think of grace as timeless, So, uh, but you're absolutely correct. And sometimes, very often, the most important thing we can do for others is to be there. Now, part of my book, um, I, I tell the story of Father... Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, Father Greg Boyle, who works uh, Jesuit priest in southern, uh, southern excuse me in Los Angeles, who works with um, gang members, providing them jobs and opportunities and things like that. And a mistake that a lot of us make when we want to help someone is to say, "Hey, Wanda, I'm here to help you. What do you need?" Well, that's off-putting. What you do, and it's thank you for this reminder. You simply spend time with that person, and you get to know them. Just just be there. Sometimes it's in silence. You make this connection. Father Boyle calls it radical kinship, and we connect with others. And in time, the trust develops, and you can do something. And it's uh, uh, you just pass it along.
1: Okay. I that's I think it's really interesting that you said that. That just to ask, you know, I'm here to help. What do you need? Can be offensive. And especially if I think about any number of ethnic diversity or even different genders or different countries, when you don't understand where I'm coming from and now you think you want to help me, you have got to be kidding me. So that sense of spending time and getting to know is getting to know where the other person is coming from um, and what their experiences are about. Did I get that right?
2: Absolutely, and that's where grace comes in. Grace is that gift which is given to us without strings, and it's what we do with it for others. How we do it is up to us. People who are in grace, and living grace, they simply see an opportunity and they act upon it. You know, um... Adam Grant, in his first book, he's a uh, uh, professor at Wharton and now become a leading thought leader, um, uh, a phenomenal guy. And I feature Adam in the book and um, stuff, but Adam talks about uh, giving and taking. We know who the takers are. The givers are those who are finding opportunities to share uh, with others. And you know why they don't get burned out? Because they ration themselves. They know what they can do, how much they can do it, and they move on. You know, And they don't become overly invested in the outcome. They do their best for the time that they have, and they continue on. And that's a sense of giving. That is a sense of grace. Yeah. Well,
1: that's an interesting point that I don't think I had thought about. I love Adam Grant's work, by the way. Agree with you on that one. This notion that I don't get invested in the outcome. Now, that's an easy phrase to say, but it has huge implications. Because if I'm invested in the outcome, then I'm invested in you doing what it is I think you needed to do or accepting what it is I had to offer or acting in a particular way as a result of what I had to offer. And that commits the other person to being what I need them to be, not who they are. So this sense of not being invested in the outcome, I see an opportunity, I offer it. What happens right. with it's it
2: is not issue. Yes, shame. let me qualify that. They're not overly invested, but you made the critical point, Wanda, I want you, I'm giving of myself, I'm passing this grace along to you, do with it have you can, do it to the best of your ability to do what you want, and it's your, it's like a child, I'm not raising my child to be my clone, I'm raising my child to be a, a fully complete human being, that is what you're getting at, so,
1: okay, All right. So an interesting concept. Why is grace so important for leadership, particularly in a business environment?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked that. (laughs) So because grace, I like to say purpose is the why. It is the catalyst for our vision. It is the catalyst for our mission. And those words get tossed around a lot. But I've written extensively about both, and I finally came down to two words. Vision is becoming. M- mission is doing. So purpose is the why of what we do. And so we express it in, I will become this or I want to become this. And this is how I will do it. That's my mission. That's my doing. Grace comes in, uh, and I also say purpose also sparks our values. And in this sense, values are become the how. Purpose is the why vision, excuse me, values are the how. And grace enables the how. There are many ways to do something. Grace is that attribute that brings people to you. They sense you are a good-hearted person. You have their interest at heart. That's a sense of grace. You are centered. So grace is our values. And what are values? Values in an organizational sense are our sense of belonging when we join a team we don't initially we're on the team on paper but we're not we're not members yet because we haven't been blooded we haven't faced adversity but we haven't bonded either and so it's important to figure out how we going are we going to function together Grace is that element that connect that can help new team members, excuse me, uh, veteran team members welcome other team, uh, new team members. It's all this kind of sharing, being there um, uh, uh, for others. So I like to say that grace, excuse me, purpose is the why, and grace is the how uh, in an organizational setting.
1: Okay, so mission is, sorry, let me start at the beginning. Vision is becoming, what it is we want to become. Mission Mm -hmm. is the doing, what are we going to do? to become purpose is the why are we doing this and becoming that? And grace is the how. Okay. So that makes sense. Can you give me a concrete example about that?
2: Sure. Um, I always say something like, in a sense of vision is, going to last for a very long time. So let's just say that you are a, um, a medium-sized hospital in a uh, medium-sized city, okay? And hospitals today carve out um, specialties. So you're in orthopedics, okay? So your vision is to become the number one or the most trusted orthopedic service uh, service provider in your market, okay? That's your vision, okay? You want to be the most respected. So your vision, excuse me, your mission is to provide orthopedic services. services. Services to your to your uh, patient base, and so to do that, you will do surgery, you will do therapy, you will do rehab, you will do diagnosis. The whole and what what kind of people you need? Obviously, you're going to need surgeons, you're going to need technicians, you're going to need equipment specialists. The whole you're going to need administrative things. And okay, so all of that is your mission. Excuse me, those are your missions. And then the, the third part is, what's it like to work in this place? If you want good people. Well, you better treat them right, okay? You better provide them with training, opportunities, and you better create an environment where we live our values, where we value people as people, where we value people as contributors, where we value people as resources. So what? Because people want to come to work and they stay with you. So in that sense, that's how you work your vision, mission, and values.
1: Okay. All right this reminds me of a show we did a while ago on corporate branding where it wasn't about corporate social responsibility. The big thing that gets gets people, consumers, users, wanting to buy your services and believing in you is an understanding of how you treat your people.
2: Bingo. Well, that's I actually talk about in a way in my book because there's a chapter on ethics and believe it or not more and more people want to work for an ethical company and I think in some ways consumers have led that because they want to work for um, an ethically based company that's why something like Patagonia is um, uh, well respected where these days an organization like Facebook is less respected so how do you treat your workers and uh, the extent from that is inside the company employees who have options, especially when you know uh, business, excuse me, when we're in a war for talent, as we are now, hey, I want to work for a place where I see a, a term that Deve, uh, Dove Seidman uses is moral muscle, moral leadership. I want my bosses to take up and take a stand, uh, to stand up for what they believe in, and I believe that.
1: Okay, great. Bosses take a stand. Okay, so Suppose I buy this notion of grace as the how. The how we go about doing this.
2: Then I'm, going to, I'm going to get a little further. So what, is, what I look at grace is, and I've turned it into an acronym, um, to make it a little more accessible. So what is grace? Great. Grace is generosity, that spirit of giving, that spirit of sharing with others. So what a graceful person does, he or she is inclusive. They also, this is another Adam Grant idea, they share power. The more we share our power, the more there is. There's a wonderful quote from James Stockwell, who was one of the longest-serving uh, POWs in the Hanoi Hilton. Um, and when he came back to the U.S., he went and studied uh, Stoic philosophy at Stanford and became a fellow at uh, the Hoover Institute. And that's where we, uh, James, uh, Jim Collins came up with the idea of the Stockwell Paradox. But he um, Admiral Stockwell has a wonderful quote about "The more a leader shares power, the more he gains why because it- power is a multiplier. The more you generate, it's a generative thing. The more you share it, the more you give it away, the more it comes back. And it it, it strengthens the team, and it also strengthens the leader. That's that sense of generosity, if you will. And it comes from being inclusive. All right? Um, The next thing is respect. What's respect? And that ability to look at someone. I look at you, Wanda, and I assume the best in you. I don't look at you as, well, she's trying to stab me in the back. No. I say Wanda's got some good ideas, and how can I bring those out in her, all right? That's that type of thing. How do you uh, generate this respect? You're accessible. You listen. You don't judge. You you, um, uh, you make your opinion known at a certain point, but you allow people. Good listeners don't make judgments when they're listening. It's hard to be a critical thinker when you're asking. I mean, excuse me, it's hard to be critical when you're asking people for their ideas. Let them share them. Then have a discussion that will be critical at, at another point, okay? My next okay. point is action. I'm sorry? So my next yeah. point is a- action. So I mean, it, gra- grace is not a passive thing. We want our leaders to take, sit up and take a stand. I've got a great story in the book about um, uh, Dr. Mona Tisha. Who talked about she was a pediatrician in Flint um, in, in the city of Flint here in Michigan, and she noticed that her patients were suffering from uh, lead poisoning and she's a pediatrician. She's not a public health officer, but she saw that nothing was being done. So she said, I'm going to mobilize. I'm going to make something happen. So she got up and mobilized this issue. And she's the one that brought the issue more to the fore uh, front. and in time that finally was addressed, but not after much hardship. That's the type of action. We also need our, the C comes from compassion. And that's, comes from the word passion, our flame, our love for things, but I share it with others, all right? What's an example of compassion in the workplace? Hey, overlooking slights. You know where you know. Don't take things so personally all the time. Let you know. Let, let slights walk. You know, wash off your back. But it's also caring about people as individuals, as human beings, as living, breathing creatures, not simply as automatons whose job it is that you. I mean, who's there to um, to do the job? Yes, they are, but they have a. There's a person inside that. And finally. Energy. Okay. Energy is that um, you got, again, like action, leaders make things happen. People of grace make things happen. They don't sit back. They go where the action is. They see where the trouble is or where the opportunity is, and they invest themselves in it. And the other side of that energy is also taking care of yourself. As a leader, keeping yourself physically fit, eating right, getting enough sleep, all of these kinds of things are all feed your energy. So, GRACE is the generosity, the respect, the action, compassion, and energy.
1: I love this. So, the acronym GRACE obviously works quite well there. And I love this notion of the generosity, respect, action, compassion, and energy. But it's more interesting, it was equally as interesting to me what you have underneath that. So, if I can just read through. I think I've captured all of these. There's this notion about sharing and giving and being inclusive and sharing power. You made a strong point on that one. There's about being accessible and listening and not judging. When you're asking for people for ideas, you can't criticize them at the same time. That you're taking a stand. You're willing to mobilize to make something happen that matters, I might add. That you... Um, Care about people as human beings and you overlook the slights in order to not get stumped on those. And I guess to go back to the judgment piece, and that there's you're investing yourself. That means you have some energy in yourself to invest, but you're also willing to put your energies in the things that matter, where the trouble is and where the opportunities are. How'd I do on that one, John?
2: fantastic i could not have said it better myself
1: all right so if i want to get better at grace is there a place to start
2: well i would say i'll give you the flippant answer and yes that's read my book no make <laughs> yourself available for grace to come to you to take my example that i talked about father uh greg boyle who's also known as father g um be there So there's needs all around us. Where can you do a need in the workplace is, how can I be a better colleague? Um, How can I create um, a culture of service, if I'm a leader, where people respect one another and want to do for others? This is where grace influences our values. Uh, It's a place where people want to work. Why? Because they like coming to work because they feel that they belong. So if you're in this environment, or if you're not and you want to be, look for opportunities where you can be, um, a- act upon grace. There's another sense of grace, which I also touch on, and it's one that's very uh, common, and that's grace in the fluidity of motion. We see it in our uh, dance. We see it in athletics. We also see it in music. And um, the sense of grace in that is that sense of great athletes, great musicians, great artists are tapping into something beyond the typical human condition. All right, in a sense, in my way of looking at it, that's grace too. So it's a totally and it's a concept that is centered in our humanity, but it's it's who we are, and it brings out the best in us. And it's something we want to share with others. And from a leadership perspective, leaders by nature are activists. So leaders don't sit back. They go to make things happen. They seek to make a positive difference. And I would like to say that grace is the initiator of that positive action. They want to make things better.
1: Grace is the initiator. All right, so... Suppose I'm on a team, John. I'll just test this theory a tad bit here, just this work bit. I'm on a team and it's not it seems to me like it's a very self serving team. People seem to be in it for themselves. I'm not the leader of the team. And you know, I think it can be kind of a down heartening environment when you're in a place like that. Can one person turn the tide of the team by practicing grace? Is that possible?
2: Oh, I think so, um, uh, and it's simply you embody what it means to be a good colleague. You be, you be someone who makes yourself available to help others, either with their work or be a friend, listen, um, have a cheerful attitude, be patient, um, seek um, to put others forward. A set of your ahead of yourself. Try those kinds of things, Um, and if you don't get any um, positive response, then it's not on you. Then maybe it's time to look somewhere else. But I like to at least try to be bring out the best, seek the better angels of your nature, and see if anyone uh, see if that takes flight.
1: It's interesting, John, because what I see people doing is they find themselves in a really tough environment where the mood in the team is really bad. Let's say the manager is not doing the most graceful kind of work imaginable. Um, It just doesn't feel like a good place. It's not very inclusive. And instead of turning to grace, what I see people turn to is a match and raise. So if my colleague over here is being very self-centered, I'm going to be equally self-centered. And you
2: just... Course, pre- I mean, that, that's I mean, as much as I've talked about grace being uh, buried in our altruistic gene, what you just described is probably the more human response. Um, and, and, and so some may perceive grace as a kind of passivity. It's not, it's rooted in your action and it's rooted in your energy. The only thing you can do if you're not the manager is to you be the best you can be. You assume the best in others. And if you're beating yourself against the wall and you're killing yourself at it, it's time to move on. There's a good book that um, Jeffrey Pfeiffer of Stanford just wrote about uh, dying for a paycheck. Um, toxic work environments are not healthy for us. So I, you know, find another place to be.
1: Right. Don't just sit there, or intentionally say that I'm going to sit there, but I'm not going to be calm. Something else. I'm going to sit here and practice grace. I think there's opportunities in that one as well. Okay, John. Any last piece? You've read so much. As a top guru leader, thought leader on leadership, any last words of advice you want to share with the audience, and you've got two minutes to do it?
2: Well, I always say, and I think it ties in with grace now, is that leaders do three things. Uh, Be seen, be heard, be there. Be seen means um, you are around, all right? Be heard means what's your message, share it with others, but also listen, listen. And listen without prejudice. Again, assume the best intentions of others. And the third thing, again, gets back to what I think what Father Boyle does. It's be there. Be available. Do what is necessary to help the team grow. Be there as a good colleague. Be there as a friend when necessary. Be there um, to what needs to be done.
1: Fabulous. Be seen, be heard, be there. It's pretty good advice. Pretty simple, but pretty powerful at the same thing. I Every time you use these phrases, John, like be seen, be heard, be there, there's so much buried underneath each, each one of them. So I just want to emphasize that notion of being around, being accessible. People could find time for you. That's the be seen, be heard what's the message, your message, and I'm conveying it, but I'm also listening without prejudice. So it's not just me talking, it's me hearing. And then there's that sense of being there, which is being there to hear, to help, to understand, to just hear uh, people's experiences and perspectives, I think. So pretty powerful words.
2: John, Absolutely. And as a leader, it's not about you. It's about enabling the team to succeed
1: you it's about enabling the team to succeed you've made that very clear in several places how powerful that is that it's you stop to worry about your own base of power and you start to share that power it becomes a multiplier of power all right john i just want to repeat for people this whole notion of grace and that i want to come back to something you said at the beginning that the vision is becoming the mission is the doing The purpose is why, and grace is the how. Grace is our values and our sense of belonging, and it's a way in which we choose to, I'm going to say the word engage with others, with generosity, respect, action, uh, compassion, and energy. I almost forgot what the C was. Very good. John Baldoni, my guest today, the book we've just been talking about is Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us. And you can find lots more on John's website, johnbaldoni.com. John, thanks for a fabulous show today.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak with you, and we had a good conversation.
1: Absolutely. And join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone.
0: Thank you for joining us today.